You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, we continue through the book of Philippians as Pastor Josh Brady preaches from chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. In this passage, Paul encourages the Philippian church to walk in unity and to live as lights in the middle of darkness, or a crooked and twisted generation, as he puts it. As we listen today, we draw from verse 13 and submit ourselves to God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Good morning. If you have your Bible, would you open to Philippians chapter 2, that passage that we heard that was just read for us. Uh, And as you are turning there, I pray that you would remember uh, where we have been and particularly where we are going. This this letter, this is, this is probably the most encouraging letter, uh, at least in its writing style and, and, and its purpose in all of the scriptures. Uh, for, for when the Apostle Paul writes to any and every other church, there is always a sense of, hey guys, we're, we're straying this way or, or this is not how you do it. Uh, but when we read this letter, it is a letter of just absolute encouragement for them. They're not perfect. We're, we're going to see that as we continue on in our study of this. But this is a group of men and women and families who have joined together to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, last week, if you remember, we we journeyed through just uh, the very first part of chapter 2. I think particularly we looked at at verses 5 through 11, uh, and in that, we saw the beautiful mind of Christ, and we we saw where the Apostle Paul, as he writes and he sets up this this beautiful hymn, this this hymn of glory uh, that, that pertains to the person and the work of Jesus Christ, he, he tells the church and us, by, by virtue of us having a copy of this letter, that we are to make this mind, this mind, of, this, this, this mind that we see about Jesus, we are to make it our own, for we possess it as we are in Christ. We looked at that preposition last week and, and how it is not from Christ in a sense of transaction where we are not going to him to get something and then leaving, but it is something that we have as we have been united in him, something that we, we are not going to leave, something that is not going to, to leave us. It is, it is now grafted in to who we are and what we do. We are in Christ. Now with that, Paul then would continue and talk about the the beautiful mind of Christ. And I want to to just simply by way of reminder, give us just a quick recap of of, of simply some of those things, okay? So if you were to follow along, I'm not going to read word for word, but just bring out the main points of verses 5 through 11 last week, right? And so as believers... As followers of Jesus, we, we have been grafted in, we, we have been positionally placed, connected with Christ, and therefore this is ours, and here is the this, that we would be people who would not cling to the things that make us, or we think make us, important. And this idea of clinging to, in the same way that Jesus didn't count his equality with God something to be grasped, that we don't grasp at the things that that we puff ourselves up with, or the things that we wished others were seeing about us. So so that's not the first thing we, we do. We don't cling to the things that make us important or that we perceive are important about us. Uh, the next thing that we looked in the, in the hymn of Christ is res- that we are too, as followers of Christ, we are to resolve ourselves that we are here to serve and not be served. 
right? So that, that's not a decision that we desire to make in a moment that we need to make that decision. That is a decision that we need to make when we first open our eyes every morning. Long before anything happens to us, long before we get into a situation that there is a temptation to say, you're here to serve me because don't you know who I am? You're here to serve me. Don't you know what my last name is? You're here to serve me. Don't you know what kind of degree I have? So, so fill in the blank with whatever makes you feel most important. And, and the way we understand Jesus is he is the, the most prime example of that. And he didn't grasp at those things. And we know that when he came, he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. Therefore, we should as well. We also, as we continue, we understand that humility is the driving force behind every action and interaction that we have. But in all of those things that we have just talked about right now, we are remembering that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are not. That he deserves all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. And and it's not ours to to get for ourselves, for our own self-consumption. But today, as we move into this next part, this is more of the practical nature. As we look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. The thought of this moves us into everyday practice. So we we may say, great, Paul has shown us the beautiful mind of Christ. What do we do with that beautiful mind of Christ? How do we practically live it out? Why should we practically live it out? To what end are we trying to, to move towards? So with that, let us take a look at the very first verse this morning, verse 12. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, church, this is the Christian life 101. This this is simply what it is to to live this Christian life. Remember that this is the one thing. Let, Let your life be lived in a way that is worthy of the manner of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's, here's seemingly what that would look like in the way that the Apostle Paul writes. And it's twofold, right? It's praise and it's encouragement. This is what he is going to do for these people in Philippi. And it is what we can expect in our own lives from one another and extended to one another. Both praise and encouragement. Now let's look at both of those elements, okay? First we'll begin with praise. It is simply the, hey, you're doing a great job. We, we, we want to, to acknowledge where we see faithfulness and obedience to, to the will and to the work of Jesus Christ. Paul praises the believers here because they have been faithfully obedient in the good days and in the hard. They were faithfully obedient when Paul was present 10 years prior. And they're being faithfully obedient at least into what he is hearing in this real time as he is writing this letter. But the second part of this is an encouragement, or or maybe a a churchier word, and you'll see it in the New Testament as Paul writes, an exhortation. And it's this idea that he is going to tell them, okay, I want to praise you for what you're doing, but I want to tell you to continue to do some things that, that potentially need some attention. He's going to encourage them to continue on, to continue being obedient to Christ, understanding this. So, so this is what they would hear, but we need to hear this as well. We never retire from the work of Jesus. I want us to hear that because I think there may be this understanding that there is this goal, and maybe we set goals in our life. I know we are in a very goal-oriented place. 
That maybe even in our Christian walk, we will say, well, if I memorize the books of the Bible, or if I begin tithing, or if I get to where I'm giving this certain percentage, or if I have this certain attendance in my class, or if I give this much money to go on mission every year, then when we tick those boxes, we have a sense of backing off. We've accomplished the task. We finished what we have set out to do. Hear me out, what the scriptures tell us, until Jesus comes back, the job's not finished. And so we need to understand that in the same way that they did. Paul says, good job, Philippi. Good job in staying faithful to the work of Christ, but I want you to continue on. How long should we work until Christ comes? Keep going. It would be the same for us today, Broadmoor. Good job on being faithful to God's call on your life. Good job being faithful in all the little things that everybody can see and the million more that nobody will ever know. Good job. But the work's not done. There's still work to do. As long as you have breath in your body, there is still Christian work to be accomplished. And he would encourage them to continue on. But then he makes this statement at the end of verse 12. He, his encouragement is that when they continue on in the faithfulness and obedience to Jesus Christ, that they work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Notice what he does not say. This is key. Okay? Don't miss the, if you zone out, if you're going other, zone in just for this moment, okay? He does not say, work for your salvation with fear and trembling. He does not say that you are to work for your salvation with fear and trembling. This is not a call to earn your salvation. That has already been accomplished in Jesus Christ. Paul isn't saying that you should try harder and be better in hopes of getting something that you don't already have. And I know you may sit here this morning and say, well, Josh, that is a no-brainer. Of course I'm not going to work for my salvation. Listen to me. That's an easy statement to amen on the surface, but that is a lot harder statement to live out in everyday life. Because everything else about this world that we live in is for. Everything. You want more money? Work for it. You want a better place? Work for it. You want to get ahead? Work for it. You want this thing? Go do it. Work for it. So if you want something that you don't have, go work for it. Here's what the gospel tells us. We already have everything there is to have in Jesus. And you never worked a day in your life to get it. You are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift that God gives his people. It's not a work of man so man can boast. God has graciously breathed life into our dead bodies, into our dead souls, and made us come alive again. And that's the beauty and the hope of the gospel. And so we must always remember, in the same way that we have been saved, we are sustained. We don't work for our salvation with fear and trembling, but this is what it does say. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out. It's something that you already have, something that has already been given to you. If you were to, to go back and, and see what that working out practically would mean, we, we could go back, but we're not, but you could go back and reread the first part of chapter two. That, that's simply what Jesus is doing. He is showing us how to exercise what we already have. God has, God has gifted you with a platform. Don't cling to the things that make you think you're important. God, God has gifted you with people that are all around you. They're not here to serve you. You're here to serve them. 
We, we have to understand that Jesus is, is not only our prime example, but he's the source that we get to live this example out. So when the scripture says, work out your salvation, it is something that we already have, something that has been graciously given to us. Now, I want to clarify something before I get into this next part, and I need to be crystal clear, so just bear with me. I say and we say all the time as a church, the gospel is not about trying harder or being better. And that's absolutely true. That is absolutely true. But I want you to have the fuller understanding of that statement, okay? Here's here's context. When I say that as your pastor speaking to this church, I'm speaking to, in my opinion, as I'm speaking to believers, people who are born again. They have already been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I'm not saying that everybody that hears my voice is born again. But I'm saying that what church is, church is for the redeemed. So when you come in here, I'm speaking to you as if you are redeemed. And if you are in this room and you are not born again, and you may hear things that I say and you think, that seems strange, that seems odd, I don't know if I agree with that. All, all these things that swirl around there, but then there may be this thing that begins to well up inside of you to say, what he is saying and what the scripture reads is different than how I live my life. And there is this thing that wells up, it's called conviction. And that conviction isn't something that should invoke shame or guilt. It is something that should draw you to the grace of the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. And it's in that moment that you, even as a lost person, being surrounded by by believers in a message that's built for believers, can hear the gospel, repent, and believe. That's the beauty of, of how God works. So when we say the gospel is not about trying harder to be better, that's absolutely true, yet... Here's the fuller understanding. The gospel is not about trying harder to be better in hopes of gaining God's love. In hopes of getting his favor. In hopes of earning salvation. In hopes of him, if you do really, really well, that he's going to give you a better gifting. With this understanding, I want to be clear. You have all that you have already in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, okay? With with that understanding, in Christ, we have all been graciously given everything. We are now called to use and exercise what he's given to us, right? All right, so now, what you're going to hear is going to sound the opposite of the gospel is not about trying harder to be better. No, no. The gospel is not about trying harder to be better in hopes of gaining God's affection. But now that we have been given God's gifting, because he has trusted to you and I different gifts that we need to bring to the table every single week and every single day, that we need to begin to use and practice these gifts to advance the gospel and advance the kingdom of God. Now with that, I want to be clear. The more we use those giftings, the more we use what God has trusted to us by his sovereign grace the more we exercise them. The more we exercise them, the stronger those gifts are going to become in our life. The better we will become at practicing and using those giftings. So with this, the working out that the Apostle Paul gives to the church at Philippi and to Broadmoor Baptist Church this morning and every Christian church around the world is this. It is a a calling to, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling daily. 
And it's not to be too, too differently understood than how you would physically work out, all right? Now, I want to, again, be crystal clear. This is not a workout message. Matter of fact, I look more like a medicine ball than an athlete, okay? I'm the last one you should ever get uh, uh, exercising advice about. You want to smoke a good brisket? Call your boy. I got you. You want a good rib rub? I'm right here. Ask me how to run a mile under seven minutes? I'm not your guy. Got me? All right. With that being said, I can still teach from the scriptures. Here we go. Our mentality should be, as believers of Jesus Christ, being graciously, everybody in this room, gifted with the grace of God and the giftings of the Holy Spirit. We should daily make progress, or we should daily hope to make gains that we want to put into action. That work needs to be challenging, and it needs to be continual. If you want to be the most effective athlete that you can be, you must always be working on your craft, correct? Usually the people that you like to go watch on Saturdays or watch on TV on Sundays or whatever athletic endeavor that you like to watch, generally, they're not walking up that day and thinking, I think I can do this. I've never picked up a barbell a day in my life. I've never run a sprint. I've never done anything that is strenuous a day in my life. No, when you see them on Saturday or you see them on Sunday, that, that, that hour, that three hours, whatever, whatever the event is going to be, is a culmination of a lifetime of working really hard to get to that day. And my hope would be that as we are exercising our giftedness in the Holy Spirit as he has gifted to us, it is not the very first time we've ever thought about that gifting in that moment. That because our whole Christian life, we have been working out what God has trusted to us in those moments. To be clear, like, like today, I'm preaching out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through, through 18. This is not my first sermon to preach. I wish you could go back to my very first sermon I ever preached at New Palestine Baptist Church. I was 17 years old. They gave me 40 minutes to preach. So that, that's where it all started for if you ever wondered why I preached so long. It's where it started. I preached for seven minutes. Some of you are like, amen, go back, please. That seven minutes had a four-minute song invitation. And I was so nervous, I was gripping the pulpit, and I broke off the side of the pulpit. And I remember leaving that day, I'm the worst preacher ever. And I probably was and may still be. I'm not sure, but I do know that a lot of time has gone in, even to this between 17 years old and 40 years old. And I would assume it would be the same for you in whatever it is that you do. If you have a job, tomorrow is not going to be day one that you've ever thought about doing that thing. It is a culmination of a life of using those giftedness. Would we not assume that, that the work of the, the kingdom, the giftedness of the spirit should supersede everything else about our life? Every job we have, every degree that we have, the work of the kingdom advancing in this world should be first priority for the believer. And so as we work on our giftings, church, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying, work it out with fear and trembling. So if you find yourself, you have strengths and weaknesses, you need to work on both of those, but generally you want to spend more time on your weaknesses. So for example, if this morning I am going to say that my, my gifting is, is teaching, let's say we're going to throw that there, but maybe my weakness is evangelism or witnessing. Of course, we want to continue in the giftedness of teaching, but we also don't want to neglect our perceived weakness in witnessing. 
But Josh, okay, we, we may, that, that may be actually very practical, and you may already get that. What about the fear and trembling part? This is not a, oh, no, if I don't do it right, then God's going to get me. Oh, no, if I, if I fail in the giftedness, then I need to tremble because God is just waiting, and I know he's just got a lightning bolt loaded up, and he's ready to throw it at my head. That is not what this speaks of. God, already, God, God knows your best, God knows your worst, and he still loves you the same. But there is a meaning that is deep and profound here, I believe. When we understand the fear and trembling, when we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, this is what happens when we, when we rightly understand who has given us this mission and who has given us the gifts. In my mind, it looks a lot like Isaiah 6. Some of you may know that passage. If not, I want you to write down Isaiah 6. And I want you at some point today, not right now, but go back and read it. It's Isaiah, he's the prophet. And something really awful has just happened in the history of God's people. There, there is this king who has just died. In the year that King Uzziah dies, Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. Without going into a sermon on Isaiah 6, in a season that everybody is just absolutely downtrodden, everybody's brokenhearted for a good king is now gone, and, and God's people are without a leader it is in that exact moment that Isaiah looks up and he sees the Lord high and lifted up in, in his temple and the robe that he is in fills the temple. And then all of a sudden he realizes that who it is and, and he sees that he is seeing the Lord and it says that he falls down on his face and he says, woe is me for I am a dead man. I am a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. I am dead where I stand. That's what he sees when he sees Jesus Christ in heaven, in the Old Testament. And so now, church, when we understand the New Testament work, that same Jesus, that same King of glory has looked at you and says, not only am I going to send you out on a mission, but I'm going to gift you more than you could ever think imaginable, and I want you to go. And when we fully understand that, that should make us tremble a great deal. For the king of glory is not looking down on us, waiting on us to make a mistake. The king of glory is for us and goes before us, and we get to follow him. This is the beauty, and, and hear me, the ease, I believe, of the gospel when rightly understood. If you believe that you're working for your salvation, then everything you're trying to do, you're doing in your own strength, hoping it's enough. Let me be clear, it's not. But if you believe that you are working out what has already been trusted to you, eternally trusted to you. Knowing God, God, God is sovereign in all, of he, all that he does. He knows you. He knows what you're most proud of and what you're not. And when he gifts you, he's expecting you to be faithful in it. So, so let's go. I've spent way more time on that than I should. Let's roll on that. You may say, Josh, I, I can't do that. It's too hard. I would tell you, if you find yourself this morning thinking, I can't be used. I, my life is too broken. My, 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 I've, I've messed it up too much. That's exactly where God uses people the most in that moment. It's in the moment of arrogance when you say, God needs to use me. I got something to give. That's the moment that, that you'll never be used. And so as we come this morning and you may feel broken and you may say, Josh, this message is great, but it's for somebody else. I can't wait to forward it along. I can't wait to share this with my good Christian friend because they would be really good at what you're talking about. Mm -mm, I'm talking to you. 
the broken you, the hurting you, the, the you that has messed up and gummed up everything about your life, that is the exact life that God is going to use for his glory. Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Who's doing the working? God. What is the work that he's going to do? He is going to will and to work in you and through you for his good pleasure. Thinking about this is absolutely mind-blowing. It, go, it goes back to that Isaiah 6 moment for me. It's, it's this idea that whenever, whenever we come and we surrender to who we are, to, to all that we are to Jesus Christ, and we're saying, Jesus, here I am. All of me. Every bit. The stuff that you know about, or the stuff that everybody else knows about, and the stuff that nobody else knows about, I know you know it all. And we say, Lord, I'm, I'm yours. Use me, my past, my present, my future, however you see fit for your glory. <laughs> Have you ever done something, said something, sent something, that immediately after you said it or sent it or did it, you had immediate regret, like almost the words were coming out of your mouth or the, the moment you pressed sin or the moment that you pressed enter and you were like, come back words. They're already out. There's no getting them out. And now, now you're just, what are they going to think? What are they going to say? What are they going to know? And we feel absolutely overexposed and incredibly vulnerable in that, mom, in that moment. And then what may even be worse is not that somebody wouldn't respond, but that somebody would actually respond back to us and see us for who we are. So take whatever earthly relationship that is and magnify it by perfection, and that is God. So whenever we see God and we say to him in a moment that is beautiful and, and safe in a church setting, we say, God, here I am, use me, all of me, past, present, and future. And then we say amen and we feel good about life and we go back out there and God starts bringing up your past, your present, and your future. You're like, whoa now, I didn't really mean for you to do it. But when you allow him, when, when, when you say to him, Lord, use me. And he begins to use you in that mighty and powerful way. It is incredible what you see God begin to do. Now, to be clear, when we say that prayer, God, use me in all that I am. Look at verse 14. Here is the directive. Do all things without grumbling or complaining or disputing. In our surrender, we must remember, church, that we have surrendered. I remember being in seminary and one of our professors said this when we were talking about Romans and, and being a living sacrifice. He said, you know the bad thing about being a living sacrifice? Living sacrifices have a tendency to want to crawl back off the table. And I know that that has been true a million times for me, that I have said to the Lord, here I am, use me, just kidding. I think I'll let you use this part of me. This part's kind of safe. There's, everybody kind of knows this already about me. So, so Lord, here, here is most of me. Here's a quarter of me. You, use it. You're mighty. You, you did the fish and the, the, the bread. Do that with, with some parts. Lord, here I am, all of me. Do all things. When he, when he calls you to it, when he, when he begins to use you, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Don't, don't say, God, not that. Not that part of my story. Not that person, God. Not that situation. Not that city. Not that job. Not that team have to remember that as a Christian, day one, you signed over all rights of your life to him. And that shouldn't be a fearful thing. That should be a joyful thing. 
We have surrendered. We have said, Lord, we are yours. Use us however you see fit. Whatever, whatever brings you the most glory, God, that is what we want to see. And it's with that posture and with that heart that we can wholly say that we have surrendered to Christ. Look at verse 15. So that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you will shine like lights in the world. So as Christ's followers, we are confronted with two choices. After we have said to him, Lord, here I am, all of me, use me. Number one, you can grumble and complain every corner that he uses you. Or you can shine. And again, we, we are sadly woefully out of time. My new Palestine 40 minutes a long time ago is coming back out in me. I want all that time back. Amen, let's go. But with that... We can't grumble and complain just because God is doing exactly what we asked him to do. And then, in the same breath, say, God, why aren't you using me more? God, why why aren't you? I see you using them. I'm saying, God, I feel like if if you focused on this part of my story, I would shine. Church, the world we live in is filled with fake news. It's fit. Look, look, and I'm not just talking about news outlets. Any media, any social media that you look at, the pictures, the, pic, the one picture that you see, there have been 12 pictures that they went through to post that one picture. On Friday, my wife and I had a chance to go on a date day, and we went fishing. And I caught a fish, and she said, hey, let me get your picture. And I said, great. So I held it right here, and I took the picture, and she showed it to me, and I said, hey, can I do that again? And she was like, yeah, sure, why? And I went, guess what picture I picked? Everything that we see in this world today is not real. And the thing that is going to make us shine like stars in the heaven is being real. And what is real? It is broken. It is messy. It is marred and it's falling apart. Because at the end of the day, nobody is asking, really, nobody is asking this question on a soul level. I wonder how I can cover up all my blemishes. What they're asking is, how can I fix what's broken in me? And if all we do is give them advice on how to cover up blemishes, we have not helped them one bit. So when this says, don't grumble, don't complain, when God brings up something in your life that you didn't care to have brought up, instead of saying, no, God, not that, no, God, I'm not doing that, I can't believe that you would want to do that, I can't believe you would make me walk through that again, instead we say, God, here it is. And when we do that, we shine like stars in the heavens. We, we continue on, look, look what it says. Verse 16, how do you do that? How, how, do you, how do you maintain that steadfastness? Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So be in the word early and often. How, how, do, you, how do you maintain that posture? Because the world is pulling at you. Don't do it. Don't show them. Don't let them in. Don't let them know. Be in the word early and often. Reminding yourself of the never-changing truths of the gospel. Reminding yourself of the never-changing character of God. Here's just a few examples. I'll go quickly. We should always, always, always trust what we know more than what we feel. 
So you may say this morning, Josh, I feel alone and lost. The truth is the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You may feel this morning that I've messed up again and God hates me. The truth is there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You may feel this morning that this world is broken and darkness is growing and good is losing and this is all a facade. And I want to remind you of a scripture passage. It's long and I'm running out of time, but I want you to hear it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming out of of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He said, Write this down. For these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is finished. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I am the one. As we understand this, church, it may feel much different than it actually is. And so when we come this morning, we understand. But just the last two verses, as our worship team comes back up, when we move into a time of of Lord's Supper, I want you to see this in verse 17 and 18. Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul's encouraging his followers of Jesus Christ to follow his example. Use your life as an opportunity for others to know and to love Jesus. Notice the word sacrifice. As believers, we must remember that this life is not about us. At one point, it it was. It was very much about us. But Jesus bought us with his blood. We no longer belong to ourselves, but we belong to him. Christ laid down his life so that we may walk in freedom and truth. So now listen, church. This this is where we say, Lord, use me. And here's more than likely how he's going to use you even today. We are called to do the same to lay down our lives so that others may be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. And you say, well, Josh, I don't like that. I don't want that. Don't grumble and complain. Instead, we say, Jesus, whatever you want, I want. I know that it may be hard, but it's just, as Scripture tells us, a moment, momentary affliction. For in the, the grand scheme of eternity not even going to remember the hardships that we face, no matter how hard they are, for we'll be in the presence of our King. The only way that we are ever going to live as we are supposed to live is in the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. That is why it is imperative, church, that we live in this Word. It is imperative that we live in prayer. And if you don't, hear me. I, I, want, I want you to hear me. This isn't just preacher talking. This is a brother talking to brothers and sisters. If we are not in the word and we are not in prayer, you do not have the power that you need to walk in faithfulness. So we may find ourselves today struggling, saying, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to be able to do. I don't know if I can live up. 
Get in the Word and pray. Just sit with Him. Let Him fill you and send you out. You may have the best laid plans. And you may be able to wake up and say, Lord, I can do this day. I know what's going on. Use me however you see fit. Skip this book and skip prayer. You are sunk. Not telling you because I am above you. I'm telling you because I live this every day. Even as your, as your pastor, there are many days that I wake up and I'm like, I'm going to read it in a few hours to study. I don't need it right now. I'm going to spend time in prayer working on this series coming up or working through this decision as a church. I'll, I'll get there. I need it. I need it if I'm going to be able to live like God wants me to live. The only way that we will ever live the life that we are supposed to live is in the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. There's no better way to remember this truth than by taking the Lord's Supper together. So if you came in this morning, hopefully you received something that looks like this. If you did not, we have men who are stationed around this room that will quickly get you the elements because I don't want us to be too far behind in our, um, in our life group hour. So if you did not grab one of these and you want to take Lord's Supper with us today, if you would just simply raise your hand. Top, bottom, they'll be there pretty quickly. We have a few over here, guys, on this side. When you get a chance. One down front. I want you to miss this opportunity. We won't start without you. Some this way over here. Mr. Gary. Anybody else? Don't, don't, don't be shy. I don't want you to miss this opportunity. We are family taking this together. Over here, Dan, if you don't mind, just on this side. a quick reminder as we take this Lord's Supper together what we practice here is, is believers communion that if you are a guest with us today but but you are a follower of Jesus Christ you have repented of your your sinfulness and your brokenness and you've surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus and you find yourself a guest in this church today and, and you would like to take this supper we, we would love for you to take it but to remember that this supper is is for believers in Jesus Christ so if you, you are not a follower of Jesus, we just simply ask that, that you would abstain from, from taking this in this moment. And to also be clear that this is, this is, this is juice, it's a cracker. It doesn't change into anything once we eat it, but it is an incredibly deep and profound reminder that our Lord Jesus, we believe, has given to us as a church to do regularly, to remind us that we're not him, that we did not come to be served, we came to serve, that we don't grasp at the things that we think make us most important, that we say, Lord, here I am, all of me, use me. So with that, I'm going to read out of the Gospel of Luke, and if you would, go ahead and take the bread portion, peel that lid back, and remove that bread. Luke chapter 22, verses 19. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat.
Jesus, we remember you. If you would turn the element over, carefully peel back the portion that has the juice in it. Luke 22, 20 says this. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, he said, this is the cup that is poured out for you. This is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. Oh Jesus, we remember you and we thank you for this opportunity. As we come this morning, Lord, to this invitation time, I ask that you would move in our hearts and in our minds. And God, you would show us the things that potentially are standing in the way of faithful obedience. That as believers, we've surrendered it all to you. But maybe this morning you've pointed out the things that we are still holding on to with all that we are. Holy Spirit, please show us this morning. Help us to let go and help us be freer than we've ever experienced before. Help us to respond rightly to the words that we have read. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray, and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?